the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, thank you kindly. It is the 12th of May, a Tuesday, and we're here to welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Here, of course, Monday through Friday from 5 until 7 p.m., addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Well, I hope you're staying well and staying safe and doing your best to get through this crisis as we sort of all together try to figure out what the new normal is going to be. We're going to talk with constitutional lawyer Brad Dacus a little bit later on in this hour. Um, there have been a number of issues across the country in relationship to prohibitions on churches meeting and the potential First Amendment fallout of all of that. So how do you go about opening your doors for ministry again and do it in a safe way? And what do you do in the face of local municipalities that are saying, no, you can't do it? We'll talk with Brad Dacus about that later on in tonight's program. I want to kick things off, though, with this question we ponder. We're going to go back to normal. We're going to see the economy zooming in the fall and in 2021, as has been suggested. Or will America experience a new normal? There are some troubling numbers out in relationship to not just the economic fallout of COVID-19 and the shelter-in-place orders as it relates to unemployment, but even more troubling is the number of jobs that may not at all come back. And a lot of this, no doubt, due to the way in which this disease has changed the face of how we do everything. All right, let's talk about it. Joining us, writer, constitutional lawyer, reporter, Joe Murray. Joe, how are you? Craig, it's good to be back on. How are you doing, my friend? Doing well, you know, uh, trying to stay, uh, what was the old adage, uh, stay above the waterline and uh, two steps ahead of the IRS. <laughs> and, the, and we've added the doctor to that list these days. <laughs> that is for sure. That is for sure. <laughs> Well, let's let's talk about this fascinating topic that that has, and I, and I say fascinating because it's not all gloom and doom. And I think a matter of the way in which we approach this, engage with this, react to this, will play a huge role in whether or not we're able to bounce back and come back strong, or just limp along for who knows how long. Now, a new study out by the National Bureau of Economic Research of the 20.5 million jobs that disappeared in March and April, taking our unemployment rate up from what had been a historic low of 3.5% to 14.7%. Some suggest perhaps even higher than that, but it's, it's certainly um, beginning to approach levels we haven't seen since pre-World War II. To hear the National Bureau of Economic Research say that those jobs 
um, they're not coming back. 42% of them will just simply disappear. That's troubling. It is. And, and I think what you were saying in the intro here is just so key. We have to put this in perspective. And I know you and I are both history buffs. We, we love history. And I've been researching a lot about the Spanish flu, and, uh, and, and it really has amazed me because if you look at our defining moments in the 19th century, when I was in, what, in high school back in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, there was like a footnote to the Spanish flu in our textbook, and what took up the vast majority of the 20th century? The Great Depression. Uh, and when we look at this, and you have to ask yourself too, Craig, what did we do during the Spanish flu? During the Spanish flu, we did not lock down on a national level. Did some cities lock down? Yes, they did. But on a national level, we did not not lock down. We actually raised an army of 4 million men and sent 2 million over to France uh, we beat the Kaiser's army, and actually, when back in 1918, we welcomed back the whole bunch of doughboys that had come from this area of the world that was ravaged by the Spanish flu. Uh, in late 1918, Woodrow Wilson was going back and forth to Europe, uh, negotiating peace at Versailles, um, and, and we kind of had a business as usual during the Spanish flu. And it was Spanish flu was nothing to, to laugh about, Craig. Uh, what is it, 675,000 Americans died during that epidemic, and if we equate that for the numbers today, that's 2 million uh, would have died. It would have been the equivalent of what had died. So I only give this brief history lesson because I think we have to look at what's going on here. We have to come to the point where we have to open up this economy. Are those 42% jobs aren't coming back? And if those 42% of those jobs aren't coming back, you're going to have Great Depression-like uh, conditions. And in that case, if we go back to Herbert Hoover, Herbert Hoover promised a big win after the 1929 stock market crash. He said he would deliver big. He didn't. And he lost the White House, not just for himself, but for his party. From 1932 to 1968, we only had one Republican president, and that was Eisenhower. So this epidemic is going to have a number of lasting implications. It has health implications. It has economic implications and it has political implications. And what we do now in the next three months is going to probably determine the fate of the country for the next three decades. There's, there's a challenge here, certainly, and that is you reference to the Great Depression, Herbert Hoover. That was an economic event, and singularly an economic event. This is an economic event that was brought about by a biological event. And so we're having to not only juggle the impact of the biology of it all, the, the health crisis of it all, but of course the economic fallout that has uh, has resulted in all of this. You know, sadly, one of the big mistakes of Herbert Hoover when he ran for re-election and during um, his short tenure as president, um, when the crash of '29 happened, his approach was largely let the market find its own level. We've always seen it bounce back. This too will come. This too will pass, and so he took a very laissez-faire, hands-off approach to the economy, and uh, and sadly, did the nation and his re-election bid no good. Now it's also been argued that the minute FDR got into office and started tinkering and coming up with the alphabet soup of all of these new agencies, that for all of the effort, all the time, all the money that went into that, it didn't really hasten our recovery out of the Great Depression either. In fact, largely, 
the advent of World War II is credited with really bringing America out of uh, that that economic largesse that that plagued us for the better part of over a decade. All of that said, how do we go about balancing these two factors, Joe? Because there's the economics of it all, but there's the health of it all. And it's one thing to say, well, let's all get back to work because the economy is depending upon it. But how much of an economy economy are you going to have if people are dropping like flies right and left? And then I have to wonder the question, and it's certainly, I think, a valid one, too, from a a moral and and scriptural standpoint, and that is, at the end of the day, are humans here to serve the economy, or is the economy here to serve humankind? Yeah, uh, you know, and uh, you posed a lot of great questions here, and let me try to knock them off one by one. Um, You made a great point that Herbert Hoover was completely an economic event. But I think what's going to happen, Craig, if we get into June and July and we still have unemployment numbers at 14 percent or floating around there, I think people are going to kind of forget about that uh, health event unless there's a big flare-up. Uh, Biden campaign's already out in Pennsylvania criticizing Trump's handling of the not the pandemic, but the economy. So it's going to be blurred lines. Uh, but you're right. I, you know, here in Tennessee, if we go to eastern Tennessee, there's a city called Bristol. I know if you like NASCAR, you might be familiar with it. But Bristol sits on the state line of Virginia and Tennessee. I mean, literally the state line cuts right through it. Tennessee has opened up pretty much the economy here. Uh, they have restaurants. You can go in for a sit-down dinner at limited capacity with health precautions. Virginia has not. And they did a story the other day in which... They were interviewing the uh, restaurant owners in Virginia who literally look out their window and they see restaurateurs in Tennessee serving their customers. Uh, so we talked about this the last time. We talked, what can you do? It's, it is a state issue, but we have to begin to open up the economy safely. I think all the leading experts will say that. Follow the guidelines that were put down. Uh, you're right. We shouldn't just rush in and open up and say business as usual because I have a feeling, Craig, if, we, if you and I had the power, and we said, okay, tomorrow the United States of economy, uh, the United States of America is fully open. Everybody do what they want to do. I would bet you you would have a vast majority of the people still somewhat uneasy about getting back out into this economy. Uh, well, clearly, you've seen many many states around that have uh, begun to open back up again, and you see photographs of you know malls and movie theaters and things of that sort, and they're ghost towns. And I think largely because yeah. there is so much hesitation and and reticence to to dive back in. And uh, you know, when we come back after the break, we, we we can have this discussion because consumer confidence is going to be an important factor in this recovery. The other notion too, the the idea. We refer to this um, recent survey or um, uh, white paper released by the National Bureau of Economic Research, 42% of the layoffs permanent. Uh, That tells me that there's also going to be a very different economy when we come back, not just a hampered one, but a very different one. For example, look at the toll that's being taken on brick-and-mortar stores and restaurant chains versus outfits that are all Internet-based. There is a reason why Jeff Bezos made $23.6 billion between January and April of this year, and maybe there's a lesson for all of us in that. We're talking today with writer, constitutional lawyer, reporter Joe Murray, a look at what is the return to normal or the new normal, as our conversation continues after this. Let's pause here at 516 to get you updated on traffic. 
from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Joe Murray, writer, constitutional lawyer, and reporter is with us. We're talking about the new normal as we begin to see America open up. We watch debates certainly on Capitol Hill over the issue and from there to the state house and to local municipalities. I guess the question is how soon is too soon, how slow is too late? And trying to weigh both the the good of America from the economic standpoint as well as from the health concern. Therein lies the challenge, and it's interesting, uh, Joe, if you had a chance to see any of the testimony by Dr. Fauci today. Um, Certainly, I think one of his concerns, and I would echo this, if America opens back up and we do it in a safe and sane fashion and we engage in social distancing and all the necessary protections, I think we can do it. i tell you what scares me. Things like what we saw just yesterday, where a security officer at Target in Van Nuys was assaulted by two men who entered the store. They were told they couldn't enter unless they wore a face mask, and so they beat the guy up. That was their response. I think the problem is that there's a certain percentage of Americans, they just don't care. They have the attitude that I'm going to do what I want no matter what, and unfortunately, they endanger the rest of us. So how do we go about balancing this? As we talk about entering the new normal, um, therein, I guess, lies the real challenge. We want to be able to to make sure that constitutional protections are respected and in place. And at the same token, um, municipalities, governors are having to make some very difficult choices. Well, well Craig, that's a great uh, point you make. And if you look at it this way, in life, even without COVID-19, we're always going to have a percentage of the population that, whether intentional or, or, or unintentional, want to do us harm. Um, it might not be COVID-19. You might be walking in the street and have a nice watch on, and you might get robbed. You might get mugged. There's always going to be that potential for a fellow American or a fellow human being to do us harm. Uh, there is just, unfortunately, evil in the world. And to that uh, degree, you're right. We have to understand there will be those anomalies that will be outside the norm. And I think the way we do this is we have to be informed, we have to be balanced, and we have to be knowledgeable of what we are dealing with. And I think that has been one of the biggest shortcomings of not the doctors and not necessarily the politicians, and I say that with extreme caution, but the media again. Uh, It comes back to this media. We, We are not getting accurate coverage. I was watching our local news uh, here in Memphis uh, yesterday, last night, and they brought a story that was run by the National Fox News on Kawasaki's disease, and it's now linked potentially with children. And, Craig, without a word of a lie, they go through all this horrors about what would happen to the children with this disease because of COVID-19 potentially. And then at the very end of the, at the, end of the segment, Craig, they go, there have been no studies or no research to indicate that Kawasaki disease is linked to COVID-19. And that is what I, and I mean, and it was like, I felt like I was watching one of those medical commercials where they tell you it's a miracle drug, but don't listen to all the side effects that you're going to have. Don't listen to the 10 minutes worth of disclaimers. Yeah, Exactly. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, that is why Americans are confused and scared because they're hearing these stories that they're taking to be legitimate because you have people with doctor, uh, white coats on. In the, in the shot footage, and you're hearing the reporter who sounds very credible, 
But it's a mixed message. I think we have to, again, be balanced. And I'm calling upon the media, which I was a former member of, to not try to bury everything that is bad or good and celebrate everything that is bad. And I don't mean celebrate that they're, they're celebrating, but let's be honest, it's a business. And media over the last two decades, if not more, have thrived on sensationalism. Uh, this oh, is kind no of doubt. yellow journalism well, but the old bad. Exactly. The old adage, if it bleeds, it leads. And uh, now yeah. the journalism is no longer a requirement. And, and it's a major, I think, failure of changes in federal law where radio stations, TV stations had to carry a certain percentile of news as part of their public service. It was never intended to be a revenue generator. Well, the minute that that requirement disappeared, they looked at this and said, wait a minute, we can pre- still present news, but we can make money with it. Wow. And, yeah. and therein lies, of course, the challenge. Exactly. So all I can say is that, look, you know, fear never never stops death. It, it stops life to a certain degree. And I don't say that in a cavalier notion because this is a serious disease. I know people that were very close to me that have died from this disease. So I understand what we're dealing with. But I also understand that America cannot be sheltered in its house for for an extended period of time. And my, the way that we talk about the way that we open up, I know it's not going to happen, but my number first one would be that the media actually stop reporting sensationalism and start reporting facts. Okay, let's just find out what the facts are. Let's see what the studies are. Let's not say that children are going to be vulnerable to this with Kawasaki's disease if we don't have any proof on it. Uh, and I think Dr. Fauci was right. We know more now, today, than we did when this first started. And I think he's a very cautious fella. I think he's a very intelligent fella. And I think he is a voice we have to listen to. But the great part of our country is that there are a number of voices that we should listen to. And maybe somewhere in the middle, you can find that right answer. I used to have a judge who would always require, you know, it's federal rule anyway. We have to always have a settlement conference before we would go to trial. And he told me the very first time I met him, uh, at the end of our conference, uh, he says, my job is to make sure that neither one of you guys are happy. You shouldn't be happy, and the person you're suing shouldn't be happy. That's when I've done my job. And that's a certain degree of what we have here. We have to understand that there are going to be some people on the I want more caution side and that are going to be unhappy, and we're going to have people on the I want this thing open yesterday side. They're not going to get everything they want. We can't stay closed down, and we can't open up like this. So what we have to do is actually talk as human beings and try to figure out where that middle ground is. And we need to do it really quickly, uh, or we could be coming back to an America that looks completely unfamiliar to what we left. Now, let's pivot to that topic for a moment, Joe, because I think certainly in relationship to the economy, as this report suggests, um, we're looking at 8.6 million job losses permanent but I have to wonder, I'm, I'm here looking at the news, I see Steak and Shake, we have none in California to my knowledge, but they are a, a restaurant chain based out of Indianapolis. They've announced they're permanently closing 57 restaurants. American Fashion Retailer Express closing 31 stores by the end of May. We know that the traditional brick-and-mortar businesses have taken it... I mean, it, 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 this has been brutal. And, 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 and big national retailers that were already on the rails, like Sears, like JCPenney's, uh, you know, the, the, the likelihood of them surviving this, probably not very good. But I wonder, in the day and an age when we're seeing chains closing, people losing jobs, and yet, as I mentioned before the break, Jeff Bezos is 
$23 billion richer in just four months because of COVID-19, because of people shifting their buying to Amazon. I got an Amazon delivery today of printer ink. So I'm wondering if part of the recovery process is going to be rethinking if there's going to be nearly 9 million permanent job losses, do we have to rethink the way we do work and say, you know what, I may not have the old job to come back to, but that means that I need to retool myself to rethink about what else I can be doing in the new normal. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. It, it actually kind of mirrors the uh, the kind of debate that we had during NAFTA, where it was the Silicon Valley jobs would be the new normal, and the manufacturing, and I'm not saying this was your argument, but I, that's what it brought me back to, and that the old school manufacturing jobs and all that were going to be the old way. And I think what's happening with this virus is that we are becoming an Amazon economy, and, and I say that in the sense that uh, we are now wholly more reliant on the Internet buying than we would have voluntarily been had this never happened. Um, you're right. I, I Pretty much every day something from Amazon or Walmart is being brought to my door, uh, whether it is paper towels or whether it is dish detergent. Um, I'm more apt to just click a couple things and be done with it. Now, before this virus, I love to go out and go to the actual store. Uh, I love to go to the, the local shops here. Uh, and this virus has caused us not willingly to move into that Internet aspect. And I think a lot of people are going to find out it's easier <laughs> and it's less, it's less bothersome. Uh, and that means you're right. There's going to be a lot of jobs that are lost. So we are going to have to reinvent this economy, and we are going to have to try to train workers to adjust to this new economy. I'm not saying brick and mortar is gone forever, but I think it's going to be a while before uh, before you see those shops go big. Now, for me, I was supposed to go out to your neck of the woods this June, Greg. I was going out to Tahoe for an anniversary, and the thought of me getting on an American Airlines flight and uh, in that box after seeing those pictures in the news, I canceled that bad boy real quick. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can <laughs> I can see yeah. that would be a great discouragement. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? no, thank you. And I'm not one of these germaphobes. I'm like in a little tin box, everybody shoulder to shoulder, and very few people with masks. I'm all breathing that air. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to Vegas to play those off. So yeah, that, that 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 wasn't fun under normal circumstances. Now you add a little dose of COVID nineteen, it's a game changer for sure. Joe, I don't know whose producer set up for only a half hour because we need like an hour to get through all this but I, i'm i'm dying to get Amen. your opinion on one one thing here before our time expires okay. uh, prior to all of this if we turn back the clock uh, a good uh, i don't know eight maybe 12 weeks yeah. we were actually in a presidential election year and i know a lot of people have seemingly forgotten about it and maybe one of the reasons why is because in addition to all of the focus on the current pandemic uh, situation, uh, there aren't political rallies, things of that sort taking place. And uh, one of the questions that's been raised by more than one person, even suggesting maybe we need to go find, uh, what is it, St. Bernard's that go out and find people that are lost. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> lost in in you know in the Adirondacks or whatever. Uh, yeah. Do we need to go out and, and put together a search party for uh, for Joe Biden? What is going on with the Democrat presidential nominee or the the assumed nominee? Um, I, I would think yeah. that he would be making every attempt to make himself uh, center stage in all of this, and yet seemingly he has been uh, you know an MIA. What's going on? Yeah, you know, uh, he says he's trying to lead by example and stay home. 
but yet I watch him interview and he touches his face so many times when he gets interviewed. That's not necessarily leading by example. Um, look, uh, Biden has says he's staying home because it's the right thing to do. But they are opening things up right now. If he wanted to, he could be touring a plant that's making masks. He could be going to visit the front lines. Uh, there are safety precautions for him to do this. And I think there is a growing perception that his staffers are wanting to keep him in that basement Biden bunker uh, because it's it's safe. He can't make a mistake. And especially with the allegations of Tara Reid surfacing and uh, you have uh, all the issues that surround that, uh, it's best to keep him in this control environment. And, you know, I got into a, a not an argument, but a debate with a friend of mine. They're like, well, it's not hurting. It's not hurting him. He's, he's still leading in the polls. Well, my argument is, you know, you never trust the polls. That's what the last election taught us. But my second point is, even if you do, real clear politics about two or three weeks ago, he was about seven points above Trump. Now he's about four in the real clear politics average. So it is going to chip away at him. This is a candidate that needs to get back out on the campaign trail to show his face, to show that he can lead. Um, when you say lead by example, they don't expect the president to be hiding in a bunker. And I think that's why you see Donald Trump not wanting to wear a face mask. I, I think you're lead. probably right on that. And, and you know, you, you, you look at this, and I'm, I'm certainly no political expert, but like yourself, did poli followed politics for many, many years. And, of course, you were, you were involved in the game for a while personally. But I, I look at this and I think to myself, since when is it a presidential campaign strategy to just hope that your your competition really messes up big time and you're just going to kind of linger in the shadows and then hopefully step out on election night and say, see, I told you so? That just doesn't seem to be a very solid campaign strategy to me. And, and you and I both know that this is a crucial time in the campaign. How you set up early spring or late spring, early summer is going to basically set the stage for the rest of this campaign. So if he's setting up this campaign at this stage by being a very cautious, uh, very I'm going to hold my cards close to my chest, I'm not going to take a lot of risk type of candidate, with the way Trump's campaign looked, say what you will about Trump, he has made a number of mistakes, uh, and I think he probably wished to redo them. But when it comes to this campaign operation, he has a great digital presence. He knows how to work the crowds. I think... It's very, very foolish if you think you can just do what you just said, Craig, and just hope Trump messes up. Hillary tried that. <laughs> it didn't work out too well for her, and at least she had the benefit of a campaign trail. Uh, down there in the Biden bunker, I just don't think it's going to work out for him if he thinks he can basically uh, stay out of this, win this election by staying out of this election. Joe Murray, writer, constitutional lawyer, and reporter. Joe, we always appreciate the time and the insights. Take care, my friend. Stay well. We're here at 536 from KFAX. Let's pause, get you updated on some traffic right now. The latest from the KFAX Traffic Center.